You're listening to Go with Jamarlin Martin. We have a go hard or go home approach as we talk to the leading tech leaders, politicians, and influencers. Let's go. We have a special guest today, uh, Delane Parnell. How's it going, Delane? Yeah, everything's good, man. Just, you know, one day at a time, moving forward. Yeah, so Go is uh, still in L.A. We're at the uh, beautiful office space uh, of Delane's and his movement that he has going on. Uh, He has a very, very cracking uh, in L.A. and a lot of momentum. Before we get into uh, your momentum as a founder, give us the short story of, you know, how you grew up and kind of the, the path to being an entrepreneur. Yeah, so I grew up in Detroit on the Jeffries Projects, raised by a single mother, uh, myself and my older brother. Um, uh, both of our fathers passed away. My brother's father passed away from sickle cell. My father was murdered uh, a few months before I was born. Uh, so it was really, for me at least, I was raised by sort of a friend of the family. My brother was raised by my grandparents because, you know, my mom, she was 23 years old, you know, two two children, both of their fathers deceased, sort of, you know, she was just going through her struggle of figuring it out. And, you know, eventually moved back in with my mom uh, as I got older and she was just more stable and sort of ready to take on that responsibility. Um, and, and yeah, she, she sort of introduced me to entrepreneurship. Um, uh, and, and, you know, that came about from helping me get a summer job. And her premise was, you know, keep my boys off of the streets because we lived in a pretty gang infested neighborhood. Um, and so my brother worked at a meatpacking um, place, like a store. Uh, I worked at a, a cell phone store. Um, and, you know, from that moment, you know, I've been, you know, fascinated by business and in business since. So, And you uh, own your own cell phone uh, company. So so not initially. I started off initially just, you know, working at a cell phone store. And it actually started off like holding a sign. So I was like 13 years old going into my first year of high school. And I was holding a sign um, at this cell phone store. It was a wireless giant. We sold Sprint and Nextel phones. Um, just outside of Detroit, and uh, it was actually like the most embarrassing job I've ever had. It's the only, I would say, embarrassing job I've ever had. Imagine holding a sign and dancing, and I can't dance, actually, so yeah. <laughs> I was just just had movement, and um, <laughs> and uh, eventually, uh, the guy who owns the store, his name is Wasam, but we call him Sam, um, he, you know, took me in, taught me how to sell phones, um, and as his business grew, my role and responsibility within the store grew. Um, and a lot of it was just because of my dedication and commitment. I would go to school, uh, and literally right after school, I would take a bus. The bus driver would get me as close as he could to the store, and I'd walk a half a mile. Um, depending on the store, he had multiple stores at some point, so a, mile, a half a mile to a mile uh, until I had a car. Um, and, you know, just work every day until closing. And when I didn't have school, I would work, you know, start to close. Your motivation at that point, was it more of, hey, my, I'm young and my pockets are getting fat? Or was it, hey, I love doing this? Like how much on, you know, yeah. each side? So, so I think it was probably a combination of both, right? So it's like, one, I'm, I really love doing this. I love having control, having influence, learning. Um, and then also I was like, you know, I want to get rich. Like I want to get my family out of this situation and, uh, and be able to contribute. And yeah, and so like working, you know, gave me means to be able to take care of myself, help support uh, our household. And, and you know, also for me, the, 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 one of the other drivers was just saving for college. And so, yeah. You lost your dad uh, early on. You want to talk about that? I mean, it's not much to talk about, actually, right? Because he was murdered before I was born. So we didn't really have a rapport um, or were able to even, you know, meet each other. And so I do have a stepfather. His name is Jerry. 
um, you know, he's basically like my dad and he's amazing. So how do you get to starting your own esports company? Yeah, well, uh, I like to say it was a short journey, but it wasn't. Uh, <laughs> uh, so so I really started. So, you know, was able to, um, you know, purchase uh, three cell phone stores uh, with some partners um, when I was 16 in Detroit. Um, you know, fast forward, maybe a year and a half later, uh, my mom introduced me to this guy named uh, Mark. He owned the collision shop, wanted to get into the car rental business uh, as it was like beneficial to customer acquisition of his business owning the collision shop. Um, so it helps him start a car rental, uh, which now has 16 locations um, in uh, in South South uh, East Detroit uh, called Executive Car Rental. Um, and it didn't have 16 locations initially. It was just one and it was just Mark and myself and we were sort of hustling, figuring it out. And eventually the company started to grow and, you know, we started to get a lot more customers and a brand within the city started to grow. Um, so, you know, sort of halfway, like through the initial growth phase, I sort of left. So we had maybe four locations. It was a few years in. Um, left as the company was just professionalizing, right? And we were getting a CEO and um, responsibilities were changing. And uh, I just felt it was time for me to sort of depart and go do my own thing. Plus around that time, I become super fascinated with just tech and startups, uh, mostly inspired by the story of Groupon. Um, and, uh, you know, there it was like they were using software um, to help brick and mortar businesses, which is what I was mostly accustomed to um, acquire customers. And I was just blown away. Right. Because I grew up in a household where we didn't use computers. We didn't have Internet. Um, and to learn about this stuff and learn that people were making money. through Was the it Internet, the business story or were you actually using Groupon? And, and no, we weren't way. using it. Okay. No, it's just like, wow, like we are going online with, you know, buying stuff with people that they don't know to drive a price down. And then that's actually, you know, transacting into like, you know, real dollars for small businesses. And so I was just fascinated by it. And um, I'd also noticed a bunch of flaws, right, in the Groupon model, like for, for business owners, like their margins were um, swallowed by Groupon. Uh, there wasn't a lot of loyalty within that customer base. Uh, and I come up with this idea to build a competitor that was like a self-service subscription model um, called Plenty Discounts. Uh, I never got off the ground. I never really pursued it. But, I, man, I spent so much time researching and putting, you know, plans together. And throughout that process of even that ideation process, I, you know, learned how to do financial models. I learned how to, you know, do wireframes and really think about the user journey and stuff like that. Um, as I was doing that, I learned how to the engineering process, right, and Scrum and all of these things. And so, um, no, it was, it was dope. And so I'm really grateful for that experience. That also led me to um, just a realization that Detroit didn't have a tech scene. And so one of the things that, like, this is probably or Gilbert, Dan Gilbert, purchasing any buildings in the city and so, uh, or any venture funds sprouting up or anything like that. And so what I did was I had a few friends who were in the, in the, in the tech uh, and we started hosting these events. Um, called, initially, they started off as 50 founders, um, but we changed the name. So the whole concept was like my favorite 50 founders we would bring over some period of time to Detroit to speak to an audience of entrepreneurs, right? Yeah. Uh, and over time, we changed the name to Starter Talks, but we were able to bring people like Alexis Ohanian, who started Reddit, uh, Charles Adler, who started Kickstarter, uh, Mitch Kapoor uh, from Oakland, um, Brad Phil, David Cohen, all of these, you know, amazing entrepreneurs uh, and, and investors, some even before they really, like, took off uh, to Detroit to speak. And, you know, the audience grew from 30, I think, was the first event to 1,500 people. Um, and 
<clears throat> and it was just like a really amazing experience. And, you know, Dan started purchasing buildings and we started doing a bunch of work with him and um, and eventually end up getting a job as uh, an associate, a senior associate at a venture fund um, uh, called Inqua with Tom Osorda, uh, the former CEO of Chrysler. Um, and, you know, that's really where start things started to really take a turn for me as just a career. And, and that, that role even came about. It was pretty interesting. I was talking to a bunch of like in Detroit. So like hosting these events in Detroit um, allowed me to one, just bridge the gap between like um, Detroit and the suburbs, uh, Detroit and Ann Arbor, all of these other sort of tech communities that like even small, but like that existed. Um, and people, and, and also like Detroit and like the coast, right? Like I was bringing people from San Francisco, from New York, from Chicago, all of these different major cities who had, you know, tech hubs that were just more established. And um, no one really had connections like that in Detroit, not even some of Dan Gilbert's people, which was, you know, crazy to me. Um, and so everyone sort of looked at me like, what's going on, you know, in Silicon Valley, what's going on here? Uh, could you could you introduce me to this person? Stuff like that. And so I became this sort of resource, this support system for entrepreneurs in Detroit. And I wanted to monetize that and the events were great like we were we were making money from doing the events but um the the way to do that full time was like to to be able to support entrepreneurs in some capacity and like being a, a vc was the the sort of ideal route to do so uh, for me at least and um so i was talking to a bunch of firms um sort of all over uh but i wanted to stay in detroit i was pretty committed um to to the detroit startup scene and there was only two funds there was detroit venture partners with dan gilbert and his guys and then there was tom lasorda over at inkwell and tom had he he'd done a fund like a year prior like a 10 million fund it didn't really go so well yeah. and i love the way that he approached me about it was like hey we had this fund it didn't really go so well but we're really excited we've been talking to people about who just knows a lot about startups and we want someone who can come in and contribute right like we're a small team four people um and you know you can come in make decisions lead deals um, and, you know, along the way, like there's a bunch of us partners uh, or like GPs, LPs in the fund who, um, you know, have made a lot of money elsewhere and have a lot of experience in other markets. And like we're totally down to help you learn about those. Right. As much as you as much as you're interested in. And and that was exciting to me. And plus to be able to sort of rub shoulders. Right. Like I'm 20 years old, rub shoulders with guys who were billionaires like Roger Pinsky and Dieter Zesch, the chairman of Mercedes Benz. Like that was like, you know. It was like the go, right? Yeah. It's like, how did you make your money? <laughs> Tell me how. <laughs> I want to share with you a great company called TopTal. That's T-O-P-T-A-L. This is a company that I use if you're in the market for a freelancer, uh, whether it's an engineer or a designer. This is one of the leading companies that's going to help you identify and hire top freelancing talent. Uh, you can go to moguldom.com forward slash TopTal. You click on that link and register and someone will get right back to you to get more information. Be sure to uh, check out TopTal. And so took that role um, and it was great. Um, the first few months were great, but it was an uphill battle because these guys were obviously very wealthy guys. They were really protective of their personal assets. And so they make, you know, entrepreneurs sign NDAs or like ask for even really like bad terms within the their the deals um like redemption clauses where you have to give your money like give them their money back at whatever value um the company is at at some point like some triggered event that they could they could yeah. you know opt into kind of like a, a detroit flavor on vc oh terms. man it was it wasn't even detroit flavor it was just like it was just it was bad it was yeah, terrible but i'm just saying <laughs> like it sounds like they're deviating from the consensus in terms of what the market yeah certainly uh, yeah, yeah, yeah certainly right and like and we had a bunch of conversations about that stuff and they were they were most of the times 
um, you know, reactive to those conversations in a very positive way. Um, uh, but you know, some stuff didn't really change. Like they wanted entrepreneurs to apply through some sort of portal that had these terms and conditions around privacy and, um, and all sorts of just weird stuff and entrepreneurs, you know, like the best ones, like they don't want to have to like sit there and apply in this like 10 minute sort of form to like, to just to send you their deck, yeah. uh, for you to evaluate the business. And so, you know, we, we, while we saw a lot of great companies, right. Um, we also lost a lot of great ones just because they didn't want to go through the, the funnel. And I, I remember, one of the first companies that um, you know made me sort of stand up for entrepreneurs in that regard was uh, the guys behind Managed by Q. They were raising like a seven hundred and fifty million dollar. I forget what the number ended up being, but like seven hundred and fifty or a million dollar round. And it was one of their early rounds. And I was like, man, I'm so fascinated by this company. I want to talk to these guys. And I send them a message, and they respond, and we're like in some conversation. And uh, they're like, look, I'm not, I'm not doing this whole portal thing. Like, while while I like you, I'm not doing this. And I was like. Um, you know, that I'd heard that feedback so often from entrepreneurs. I sort of, you know, went to the firm, um, to the partners, um, and was like, look, we got, we can't, we can't do this. We have to change that. And, you know, I think I was rocking the boat too much. Like they weren't really happy with yeah. that. And, and I also fight for just, um, man, just, I mean, entrepreneurs for anything, right? Like entrepreneurs who we have fly in on their own dime. And then, you know, we tell them no, like, yeah. and it's like, we were a yes before they came in. And as soon as they get here, like now we're no and nothing's changed about the business, but it's just something that, you know, one partner doesn't like because their process was that they have these pitch meetings and they invite a bunch of their LPs to the pitch meetings because all of these guys were like friends and individuals. Yeah. And every, every person had to agree on a startup uh, for that startup to actually get an investment. And you can't, like, there's no consensus on that, right? It's like, it's hard to get consensus when there's 12 people sitting at one table um, to make one decision, like, you know. With the, with, with the like veto power kind of mechanism. Yeah, it's like, yeah. it's like you have 12 people at one table and you need every single person to agree that we need to make this deal. And so people would bring up all sorts of reasons on why they didn't want to do the deal. And a lot of it was that they weren't close to the business, right? Because the four of us at the fund had spent the most time communicating with these startups and we understood the business. And so yeah. you're here for a 30 minute, one hour meeting and now you like have all this in-depth knowledge on like the business, which you don't. Give us a kind of a frivolous reason where I mean, look, one partner would just say, I don't like this about this guy. Or, it could be, it or, could be or, anything, right? Yeah. Like uh, um, I remember Rodney Williams, we were talking to him about Listener and like one of the partners didn't like that his assistant booked the meeting and they were like, uh, they were like, they're like, nah, this is like, I don't like this, right? And it yeah. was just like, it was a no just because of that. I pitched to a, a billion dollar uh, private equity fund before, and uh, the feedback was one of the two members didn't like how my lawyer looked. <laughs> uh, it's insane, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah look, I mean, we, we, we yeah. brought, look, I brought so many great companies to the table, Cruz, which we'd even, you know, sold for a billion dollars to GM. We negotiated an advisor on that company that would have returned our fund four or five X alone. Uh, and one of the partners said, oh, this will never commercialize. And my argument was like, someone will buy it for um, you just R&D purposes, right? Yeah. Um, and he was like, look, I ran a car company, so I know best. And you know, it's hard to argue with that. But at the same time, I'm like, man, you're not, you're just not connected right now to what's going on in the markets. And so, you know, we lost that company. There was a lot of other companies that we lost. Um, and I, I think back, like my career had, we done those deals and I was able to lead those through. Like, you know, next year I would have had, 
had or the next couple of years, I would have had, you know, two or three companies going to hit a billion dollars in valuation. Maybe I'm not sitting here today talking to you about a company that I started, but like a fund that I raised. Right. Yeah. So uh, and it was it was the, the, the crazy part about that entire story was like that. I just care a lot. One about entrepreneurs, about venture. It was like that's my entire dream was you to be a career on the VC. other side. Yeah I, yeah. I never really wanted to be an entrepreneur. It was something that I was sort of like I thought I had the spirit for. Um, but but this, I, I always wanted to support entrepreneurs because I could like empathize with yeah, them. Yeah, but this helps yeah. you kind of be a Deion Sanders in terms of, hey, you have been in on the VC side and you you switch up. You got kind of both of those skill sets. Yeah. You, you've had a good look at the VC side as well. Yeah, yeah, sure. It's been it's been helpful. Uh, and, you know, a, a lot of those skills I was able to leverage and use to, to raise our, our round for our company today. But um, but in general, you know, like I, I felt like I'd done so much great work there. Um, and you know, it just, it didn't pan out. Right. And so anyway, I left that company, I left that fund, uh, joined a startup called rocket fiber that was forming within like Dan Gilbert's family of companies. Uh, and it's led by this guy named Mark Cutson and they were building uh, gigabit ISP. So like Google fiber for other markets, but also residential and commercial real estate, uh, for commercial properties. Um, and no one really understood like how to build an ISP, certainly not me. And today I still really don't understand how, <laughs> but, um, you know, it was a small team. There are three founders, uh, and Mark, I, I when I made the decision that I was going to leave the fund, it was like to go to another fund, uh, and if I did so, it would have been, you know, out of Detroit or to go work on, you know, the startup side. But it had to be a founder that I really believed in. And, and Mark Cusson, I think, is like truly probably the most underappreciated CEO, certainly in Detroit, maybe in the country. Um, uh, and I know there's a lot of great CEOs, but this guy, he just gets it. Like he, he, he's an engineer by trade. Um, and so he can obviously, he can engineer himself, but he can also speak to engineers across a bunch of disciplines, um, extremely well. And he just gets their plight. Um, and, and then he's, he's also has like this incredible, like he's just a good design thinker. Like he understands design. He understands, you know, user experience, but he's also like a really strong business guy. He's like the perfect trifecta. Like you don't get this, this in economics, finance guy, like he, like you don't get that sort of, um, you don't, you can't find people who sort of embody all three of those things, um, which makes him really perfect. And beyond that, like he, he, like, like I just said, I cared about venture. Like I think he just cares about everything. When he's passionate about something, he when he he like dives into it, he immerses himself fully, and uh, he cares about his customers. He cares about his team, and he just goes the extra mile. And so, um, you know, I know him because one of my closest friends that's her boyfriend. And so when I you know I talked to him about his idea, and he was very transparent with me on like here's the challenges that we face, and like you know here's sort of what I'm thinking about, and I don't know how we're gonna overcome some of these things, but like I like you to be a part of the journey. Um, you know, I, I thought it was genuine, and you know I wanted to to help him get to his goal because you know when you join a startup, like the most important thing is like, do you believe in a person leading it? And I, I would have, I would have given him my kidney if it meant he could get to the next milestone. Um, and I think it's just a phenomenal CEO. And so I had an opportunity in person too, beyond CEO. And so I had an opportunity to go and work with him, um, on strategy. Um, and I got, I worked directly with him. It was just me and him for a while. And then another guy, DeAndre Ely, who now works at Disney, he joined the team and he worked, we worked with Mark together. Uh, and that company went from a handful of people to 50, 60 people in the first year. You know, we raised 31 million. We moved into an office, like we built an office and moved into it, um, you know, built the, the fiber lines and then deployed them. And it was crazy. Like, you know, it was like, I got, I got a chance to like witness a startup, like extreme growth. Right. Like in one year, 
so many new things happening, so many new faces coming in and, and also, you know, things that went really well and then things that went terribly, like, you know, not well. Um, uh, and, you know, a lot of those things were like cultural things, making the bad choices and hiring and like leadership positions, um, uh, you know, even even like business decisions on like, you know, units or product lines to focus on that um, just were too much an investment that so, didn't pay so out. So you're getting a you're getting a great education on kind of what not to do, what could go wrong, what to do and what not yeah, to do. Yeah, both, both, yeah, because yeah. Uh, Mark and his partners, Randy and Eddie, uh, they did a lot of things right. Yeah. But there were some things that they did wrong. And it's funny, I, I just had a conversation with Mark maybe a month ago now. Um, and, you know, it's funny, some of the things that, you know, we were doing wrong, they sort of, they, some, they, they, they cut off and like they, they made changes to, and like it's benefited them and others they didn't. And they went down a rabbit hole and they lost millions of dollars on it. Um, but they learned from them and, yeah. and they're better leaders because not of unusual for yeah. a startup. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so it's, it's a little bit easier when you have 31 million in yeah, the bank though. Yeah. Right. Uh, let's <laughs> fast forward to, uh, your current company, um, how do you get the idea yeah. um, to start it? So Rocket Fiber was actually really important for me beyond, you know, being able to work with an incredible leader. I think without that experience with Mark, um, I wouldn't have been prepared to ever be a CEO. Um, and so being able to work directly with him and be a part of that journey um, sort of got me here um, beyond beyond just my experience, direct experience from him, being able to work with a CEO, but also um, because uh, that's where I sort of dove heavy into esports. And so Dan was looking at doing investments in, um, in esports and also Rocket Fiber had this incredible internet infrastructure in which a lot of the online competitions for esports were held, or well, a lot of the competitions for esports were held online. And so people were asked, reaching out to use our internets, right? Like tournament organizers, uh, teams, um, uh, just all sorts of people within the ecosystem. And, and so, you know, no one was, me and Mark were like the only gamers and obviously Mark is the CEO of this company. He, he doesn't have time to sort of evaluate this opportunity. And so I was sort of, you know, deemed the person who should be looking at opportunities for Rocket Fiber and for Dan Gilbert to get into esports, uh, pre-Blake Robbins who does that now. And, um, and yeah, and so I did so. And so I was meeting with everyone. I was talking to everyone. Um, uh, we would fly people in, have conversations with them. We, we put a few ideas together um, to try to start companies in this space with support from Dan, um, but they didn't, they didn't you know, get through. Uh, and it wasn't Dan's fault. It was more so like the people we were trying to organize these opportunities with. Um, but either way, I was sort of heads over heels in the space. And you know, Hudson, Mark Hudson, is, we call him Hudson, he, he gave me freedom to sort of explore that, even you know, when I was working at Rocket Fiber, along with my you know, core responsibilities there. And um, you know, was able to start an esports team called Rush Esports. We sold it to Team SoloMed, which is the largest esports organization in the world. Um, it wasn't like a, a massive sale. Frankly, it was sort of before its time in team ownership. What I what I realized there is that like being a team owner of an esports team, at least at that time, it's a lot more professional now. It was like underappreciated um, babysitting, right? Like having to you know break up arguments between guys for whatever reason, having to literally drive to people's house to wake them up to scrim and practice with their teammates. Uh, it was like I can't do this, and like you know we were lucky enough to find a, a buyer for the team. Um, uh, from there, went to go start. Uh, a betting company in esports, so like head-to-head uh, -head skill betting. So me and you play each other, our teams play each other, and we both put money on the line. Uh, and you could also play in tournaments where you enter 
uh, with some sort of buy-in and win a larger prize. Um, and we built a really phenomenal product. We had some great traction initially, um, but that market really collapsed and we raised money for it too. And that market really collapsed when um, there's this underage sort of gambling um, debacle that happened in one of the, East, like a popular esport called CSGO, Counter-Strike. Um, and, you know, it sort of took that entire, like, although we weren't even doing the same thing or even in that space, like it just took the entire betting market in esports down so because it was just, it was yeah. just unregulated and, and rightfully so. And so I was really on like this hiatus. Like I was thinking about like, what should I do? Uh, figuring stuff out. I was talking to venture funds that wanted me to join and be like their esports partner. I was talking to startups in the space, potentially joining even some like agencies in LA who were looking to get into esports. Was, was it you that concluded that, Hey, this market, this segment of the esports market is too hot. Uh, and I need to come off of it? Or was it investors saying like, hey, we perceive this as too risky? No, no, we, we you know, it was, it was more so me. It was just like, look, this isn't going anywhere, right? Like yeah. I can spend my time doing something else or I can spend my time doing this, but even if I do this, like it's not going anywhere. Some of the biggest companies in that space, um, Vulcan, um, they pivoted. They're now Streamlabs, Unicorn, which is doing um, fairly well now. They were struggling at the time. Um, and, you know, no other companies were like doing well, right? But this so is more just, like, just, just you, the you analyzing the market and like, hey, I got to cut my losses. Yeah, the market was, that, and that's what the market told me, exactly. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, and so, you know, I was, I was fortunate enough to be able to be in a position where I could, you know, just figure things out and had a bunch of options. And then I went to South by Southwest uh, with my boy Marcus Carey. Uh, who runs a uh, homage hospitality and um you know he actually convinced me to go i wasn't going to go i was like nah i'm, I'm kind of chilling you know i'm in detroit at the time and he's like man you got to get out here like it's a bunch of people out here um a lot of familiar faces a lot of new faces and so i, I like i was like all right perfect right i didn't have a place to stay or anything um booked the flight we got out there you know just figured it out and um, like the very next day, we went to the culture house ran by Rodney Williams, who runs Listener, who's at this point, like we talked obviously about investing in him early, but then over the years, him and I became pretty good friends. And, um, and he, you know, him along with Ryan from Product Hunt, and I believe uh, Susie, Troy, and Marlon from Cross Culture, they held this party, like this mansion party. It was a brunch and um, basically everybody was there. It's like the who's who in tech and uh, in business. And so, um, you know, like as I'm walking by, on the dance floor like I know I know all of the guys who were hosting it um, and, but I didn't know uh, Peter a fan from science and so sort of as I'm walking by on this dance floor Susie who works with Troy Carter over at Cross Culture she grasped me it's like hey you should meet Peter and I'm like well I know who Peter is obviously he's a legend right he's like he's raised a billion dollars for startups since 2011 um, He's like, he's like incredible. Everyone, like any, any investor, certainly on the coast, they know who he is. Yeah. And, um, and so, uh, he grabs me and she's like, yo, you should talk to Peter. And me and Peter are talking now, mind you, this is a pack party. I'm on the first level of the party. And you're not dancing. You're just walking around. No one's dancing. Yeah. Peter's oh. dancing. Yeah. Peter's the only person literally in this entire party dancing. Um, people are just like, you know, it's a, like a business event. So people are like talking, they're drinking, they're socializing. Peter is like legit, like, you know just the only person sort of like in this really tight space just dancing and grinding <laughs> and uh and you know I introduced myself I'm like hey you know who you are big fan of what you do you know we're talking we talked for like 20 minutes he doesn't stop dancing by the way which was uh which was awkward now I've come to know that's who he is yeah. uh <laughs> and uh and you know along the way like in the conversation he started talking about esports I was like hey I just did something in esports I'm you know really excited about that space looking for something else ideally within that space and he's like I got an idea for you and 
exchanged contact. And the next day he hit me. He hit me via email actually the next day. Um, but then he like called me and, you know, conversation sort of just carried over a few months. And I come to, L- I came to LA from Detroit a few times, met with his other partners, Mike, uh, Mike Jones, who was the CEO of MySpace, another great CEO. I would very much liken him to uh, Mark Cusson. He's one of my favorite CEOs. Um, uh, Tom Dare, who's another partner. He sits on our board now. Um, he's from Detroit, big fan of him. And, and Greg Gilman, who, who's also another partner. So there's four partners at Science, Peter, Mike, Greg, Tom. Uh, so got a chance to spend time with them, got a chance to spend time with a lot of the other entrepreneurs. And essentially, they gave me the hard sell, like, hey, we want you to come do this. And, and the concept that they gave me was like, hey, we should prove we should pursue high school esports. Now, it was sort of stopped there. Like, they didn't say, we should pursue high school esports, and here's how we do it. They were like, we heard this is a thing. Like, you should do this, right? And I was like, huh, it's pretty interesting because, like, my entire, you know, like, what I wanted to pursue in esports in general was, like, competition and infrastructure. Yeah. Like, in the betting, like, even even how we thought about betting within esports was, like, we're adding value to competitions. Uh, and so, um, you know, I was pretty fascinated with it. Frankly, I didn't know much about the market. I knew that there should have been a market, but it didn't really exist for that, that like, that um, demographic of, of players. Um, and I really didn't know how to build the company. Uh, what I've come to know, by the way, that that idea was really, to get back to your original question, um, was the, the concept was created by, um, well, I wouldn't say even created by him, but the idea to create like a venture-backed company to do this um, 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 was actually you know birthed from Matt Mazio, who uh, worked at Lord Case uh, with Chris Saka, one of the most, um, you know, highest performing venture Very funds of all track time. record yeah yep and and um and now he he's over at uh kotu which uh i'm sure people know at this moment i'm not even sure to be honest with you so if they don't mazio i'm sorry um <laughs> but uh, kotu is also an investor in us which we're really excited about but anyway matt mazio came up with the idea apparently he told peter and mike um peter and mike really liked the idea they told me and then you know they convinced me to move i moved uh, the last the last weekend in June, um, moved with a suitcase, gave everything away. Hadn't seen my place before. Uh, my boy Matt Haig, who runs uh, his name is his gamer tag is Nayshot. He runs Hundred Thieves, which is one of the biggest esports teams. Uh, ironically, that Dan Gilbert is a big investor in, and he like hooked me up with a, a place um, uh, like this, like near his apartment, and I just moved. And I was like, all right, I'm I'm going to give it a year, and if in a year this doesn't work, I'm going to do something else with in our outside of esports. And if it does, then I'll keep doing it. And uh, it's crazy. It was a year, July 1st, which is insane. And we've done so much in that time frame. Yeah, so I want to highlight that when you meet one of your investors uh, in Austin, that it's not like a random meeting, meaning that you already have social proof and endorsements from the community. You got other VCs, entrepreneurs vouching for you. So it's not like, you know, a VC is randomly meeting you on, on the dance floor that the your character, your track record, your personality, whatever, it's already vouched for by yeah. the insiders kind of there. Yeah. And that it, opens the door. Yeah, sure. That party was like an invite only party anyway. Yeah. So like um the people in that room were like, you know, based on the host, like they 
you know, they thought should be in that room because they provide meaningful conversation. I was, I was fortunate and privileged enough to be in that room. And, um, had I not met Susie, you know, I'm not here today. And so, uh, she was the person who connected us and, and Peter uh, gave me the hard sell. And there's a lot of people like that, like that are just involved in this, yeah. the, the origin of this company. Um, and you know, I'm sort of super thankful for all of them. And the best part for me is that now they're all investors in what we do, which is, you know, definitely a full circle moment. Yeah. And another thing I want to highlight is, um, I read an uh, article, uh, and one of your, uh, investors was quoted as saying that, you know, the m- most about esports than anyone that he has met. And so when I'm thinking about how your readiness and knowledge was ready for the luck in terms of that, you know, uh, the opportunity to connect with an investor, I'm thinking that your curiosity and reading so much about your industry, although it didn't work, it opened another door in terms of how much knowledge you had about your market. Yeah, to be fair, um, I do know a lot about esports, but there are people who just know more than me. Yeah, but the investor yeah, said sure. just for him, yeah, he, he knew he, the most. What, yeah. I would, what I would say to him, I need to go back and find that, by the way, is that you don't know enough people in esports. Yeah. <laughs> no, we uh, look, we have a bunch of people on our team who are far more knowledgeable on esports than me. Um, and, you know, I, I certainly I, I studied the space. I talked to people in the space. Uh, I was prepared to build a company in the space, no matter what that company was, uh, assuming I had passion for what it was. Um, and, you know, that you know, it was just the right time, right place, right time. Can you explain to the audience what a traditional incubator does uh, and how that can really anchor you to kind of go out and raise money and develop your business model? Yeah. So people generally confuse accelerators and incubators. Like, I think they just consider them the same thing. Like an accelerator is, um, you know, like a Y Combinator or Techstars when a startup joins generally for like a hundred, $120,000 investment for like six or 7% of the company. And you're within this batch of maybe a hundred other companies. And it really ranges. It could be a dozen to a hundred companies. And it's for a three month period of time. You're just sort of like heads down working on whatever you're working on. Uh, and at the end of it, there's this demo day in which a bunch of investors sort of from across the country come and they may or may not decide to invest in your company. And obviously many other investor conversations sort of happen outside of that demo day, but like that's sort of like the culminating event of being an an accelerator. Uh, Incubators are a little bit different. It's more of like a complete partnership. And so, you know, we, I joined science was literally just me. Um, and you know, science took a portion of our company. Um, but what, and, and they also gave us money, but in return, they gave me beyond money, things that I, you know, I can't quantify like a team. Um, they gave me like their team became my team and every day, you know, the, whatever staff they'd assigned in this pot to me was like working only on my company every single day. Uh, they gave me support. It's tough. I moved from Detroit here to LA and you know, it, it's a lonely place trying to build a company when like you don't have a co-founder or you don't have, um, uh, like, you know, team of your own. Uh, and you know, they were there for me. Um, they helped me, um, you know, model stuff out, you know, as it comes to like numbers to make sure like things made sense. They helped me do research. They helped me, you know, make connections. They represented our company. They traveled to places when I wasn't able to travel there and like was a representative of our company and got stuff done. Yeah. They were just like, they were just there. It was just like, it's, it's, it's hard to describe unless you're in it. But the best, the best way I would say is like they become your co-founders in a way and not 
they as in like the partners but like they as in the partners plus the other 30 or 40 people that work for them yeah. um, and and also the other entrepreneurs that they've invested in uh, and so it's uh it's certainly it's not for everyone and frankly some of the terms aren't um uh you know great for teams like large co-founded teams uh or founding teams um but when you're one or two people it totally makes sense unless you've you know gone out and built the company and had some success that way okay got it so they're on board and you just raise a monster series a round 15 million the most uh, are, are, are the largest series a round by african-american consumer internet founder yeah i think it's in, the fourth largest ever okay fourth largest okay so it's, it's the it's the largest uh by an african-american African consumer internet yeah. um or gaming and uh fourth largest ever uh, i think but it's interesting they have another founder i think his name is kyle i've only met him once um he runs a company called harvey which used to be called home hero he raised 20 million i think his is the third largest inside it's a science company so, okay okay yeah. okay got ever. it uh so they're on board but before you close out your round do you have to go out and pitch like other entrepreneurs to other investors? Yeah. Let me just walk through the journey of what we do and, and also sort of how that came about. So moved to L.A., you know, end of June, was in the office, uh, first week of July. Um, you know, at this time, we hadn't really, like, incorporated the company or anything. We were just, um, uh, you know, still researching, figuring it out. So the first few months, all research, figuring it out. Um, we hadn't started building yet. We hadn't even really figured out where we were going to build. But what we sort of boiled down to is that um, all of our key assumptions, which was like, should we be building a company in esports and focus on the high school demographic? And what we found is like, absolutely, yes, because uh, high schoolers, teens are the most important demographic uh, to publishers, to brands. Um, and, and certainly if you're able to establish a relationship there with regard to um, teens from like a, a service or a, like um, a product standpoint like they tend to be unless like they're obviously fickle at that age but like if you could you know get them to be loyal to you then they're like they tend to be like a, a fan of yours or a, a customer of yours forever the other thing was that um, when you think about the impact that high school has had like high school as a system has had on any other traditional sport it's been like it's been a catalyst, right? Like for growth. And so uh, we were like, if esports is going to grow, while, while it already has professional scenes that mirror the NFL and NBA, like these these leagues, they don't understand or they don't know, they don't have a traditional funnel and like our feeder system established on how they're going to acquire their next you know, group of uh, superstars. And um, and college was already budding. There's 200 plus colleges this year offering um, esports scholarships. The NCAA is exploring their involvement, and there's still no amateur scene, so no you know youth scene, no high school scene, and certainly no even adult recreation scene. Uh, if you're a kid and you want to play esports today um, competitively, uh, you just play you know multiplayer modes with strangers or your friends, and you can play in ad hoc tournaments, which last you know a day or a half a day. Um, but you can't play in like a season in a position, develop as a player, and there's no real in real life component to it. And so we we validated that assumption. The other we had was um, uh, so it was like the first assumption was just to go back um, uh, like does it make sense to build a company in esports focused solely on you know a high school demographic it was a yes uh, and then the second was well if if we're going to do high school do we do this inside of high schools or and if so how and or we do this outside of high schools sort of grassroots and just you know focus on like normal paid acquisition strategies to acquire customers and what we found there was that if we did it outside of high schools one that had been done before um, but those groups were never really able to establish market
market share because uh, they couldn't validate uh, if these kids were in high school, which was a big issue to say you're a high school based company um, or primarily like you're, you're focused on the high school demo. And the second thing was that it really didn't provide defensibility like as a business, right? Like because once the high school group decide like high schools decided they wanted to do this, then like your company's dead. It was I, I, I would assume I, like the analogy I would use is like it was trying to build Pop Warner before high school football existed. Like it just wasn't possible. And so because the behavior even wasn't established. And so so, um, you know, what we what end up happening, which, uh, when, man, I'm super, super grateful for, we end up getting connected. Um, so Danny Johnson, who's uh, one of our investors, he is an SVP um, at, of marketing, I believe, at Paramount. He was, he was at Fox prior. And um, he ended up connecting me to one of his friends who runs MTG. Um, like a division of MTG. I think he does all of their investments. MTG is Modern Times Group. They're a $20 billion um, Swedish media company. They've spent you know, hundreds of millions of dollars in acquisitions in esports. They bought ESL. They bought DreamHack, which are like two of the largest companies in the space. And, and frankly, like those guys have been like pioneers of esports. And um, and we had a conversation. We sort of built a report. And then he sort of down the road just randomly was like, hey, you should connect with the CEO of ESL. And, you know, he did an intro. Like I didn't ask for it or anything. Wasn't expecting it. He just connected me. Um, and, you know, I spent time talking with Craig, who's the CEO. And, um, you know, he's like, hey, like, you should talk to these other guys doing something, you know, looking at like, he's like just looking at high school esports. I don't really know what they do, but you should talk to them. I'll connect you. And I was like, all right, great. Right. And at this time, by the way, like morale wasn't super high around science uh, of like building this company because we're in like September and like we haven't figured it out. And uh, like we, we felt like we gotten close, like we knew what we had to do, but like, you know, distribution to the schools was like impossible. Like, are we going to go to every single school? and try to like sign them up, like that process is so painful. And so, um, you know, anyway, uh, Craig connects me to the NFHS. And I don't know if he knew it was the NFHS or if he, I don't know if he was just passing the boat, like getting him off of his desk, or if he was like genuinely trying to help us. The, the full name of the organization? Yeah, National Federation of State High School Associations. So the NFHS has existed since 1920. They're effectively the NCAA of high school. Um, they decide what sports should be played in high school, what activities there should be competitions for in high school. And so they were basically the group who decided that, um, you know, football should be a sport in high school and then downstreamed into every high school. Um, basketball should be a sport in high school, downstreamed into every high school. Even things like debate and drama and music. And they're, in, they're actually in the NCAA's office. So them and the NCAA operate parallel and they share an office in Indianapolis. And um, basically like they control high school sports, right? And so he connects us to them. They're already at this point talking to five other companies in the space about introducing esports within their you know, 20,000 high schools, which is every high school in the country that offers sports. Um, and, um, and you know, I'm one man show, sort of last at a party competing with all of these massive billion, tens of billion dollar companies. Um, and, and, you know, I, it was definitely intimidating, but I was excited. I was like, this is literally, if you're going to get into high schools to do anything, this is the, especially as a sport, right? Like, this is the only company you have to talk to because it's the only company you can talk to. They decide what sports are played in high school and, and like, and they can, they just control the entire boat for it. And so, um, uh, and it was a super ambitious ask for me too, right? Cause like 99 years, like is that's their, that's how long they've existed. They've never partnered with a company to turnkey a sport. They've never said, Hey, we're going like, to use your every, Yeah. Everything is internal. Like they operate their own sports. Yeah. It's like, imagine if one company owned all of high school football, 
all. <laughs> and so, uh, so yeah, so I, I talked to him first time. Conversation was great. Good intro call. Uh, and, you know, you know, they weren't like overly like excited to try to make it work because they were already talking to a bunch of people. But, but what I did was I was like, well, what are you guys struggling with in esports? Like understanding the concept. What do you want to learn? Right. And they told me and so I sort of scheduled all of these sort of back to back calls and we just were like talking about stuff that they wanted to learn. And, you know, that conversation allowed me to build rapport with them uh, and we, we bonded. Um, and I, I would like to say that we sort of established a friendship and obviously a lot of trust. Um, but like it didn't progress in terms of like them working with us. It was more like I was there. I was just educating them. And what you say that that's just a, a sales skill that you develop in terms of you're probing how can I help? Yeah, them? certainly. Yeah, no, for sure. hundred percent without working at the cell phone stores and yeah. being a part of that. Like I, that, I don't, I don't even understand how to do that. Yeah. Um, in terms of like, how do you develop a funnel? And so like a month in, let's call it, we've had a few conversations. Um, and you know, at this point, like, you know, my back's against the wall. We need to get something built because we know the next school year is starting. And so I'm like, Hey, look, I'm going to come out to Atlanta, which is where they're one of their, they have a for-profit, their for-profit arm is. And I'm going to show you guys what we've built. By the way, it's just me. We don't, we haven't built anything. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, and, and like, you know, I set the, I luckily out, I, I had the foresight to be like, let's set the meeting. It's like early October, probably like the first of October, let's call it. And I'm like, let's set the meeting in November. Like it's like the first week of November. I think it'll be like the seventh or something like that. And, um, and cause I needed that time to go and build something and even prepare. Like I hadn't even thought about it. I just was like, I need to do this. And like, you know, this gives me enough time. And so they were like, all right, cool. That works out perfectly for us. And like, my fear was like, okay, within this time frame, hopefully they don't make a decision on who to work with. Cause I know that they've been talking to five people, but I'm like, now I have a month to like, just put something together and blow them away. And so anyway, um, within that time frame, um, Sean, who's now our head of product was, is a good friend of mine. He's from Detroit, but he was already living in LA phenomenal engineer, also designer. And then Dalvit, who's our CTO, uh, is a good friend of mine. I met from DeAndre, who I work with at Rocket Fiber. Um, and he's like one of the best engineers that I've ever met. And so I, I reached out to them. It was like, hey, not even a joint play versus, hey, can you help me build something? I wireframed exactly what I wanted to build, which was like a simple platform. And I wanted to simulate it to show exactly how eSports, like to include in my pre presentation to show how eSports could be played in high school because it can't be played in like the physical world. Like you can't have one team. I guess like it's obviously a physical element, like an in real life element, but it can't be like us, like you have the games have to be played through software. So you need a platform in which connects to the game client to be able to play the games, right? Even if like kids are meeting up together, going and playing in their computer, yeah. computer lab, like they wouldn't travel from school to school. So like school A wouldn't travel to school B to play the games. Uh, it needed to be played through software. And so we needed to build software that simulated that. And uh, and so I wireframed it up using like Balsamic or some tool like that and showed it to these guys, specced out how I wanted to functionally look. And they were like, all right, cool, we'll help you build it. And they just, they did. And we did it in like two or three weeks and we polished it. And then I prepared like all of my presentation documents. And me and Peter, we went out to Atlanta to pitch them. It was like it's supposed to be like a, an hour, maybe 45 minute hour meeting. And they went like three hours. And so I knew that was a good sign. And one of the things that I think stuck out the most there is that because the meeting started off really intense, just one yeah. of the guys, Robert, he was like, so look, we've already talked to five other groups. What can you guys do for us? That's literally how he started yeah. it. So I'm like, whoa. <laughs> 
I don't know. Like, what, what have they said they could do for you, right? <laughs> I wasn't prepared for that. Uh, and so, um, anyway, like, we, we have a really good conversation, a lot of interesting stuff. They were playing. They they never really told us. Like, you couldn't tell if they liked us or not. And one of the things, like, at, they ended the meeting even after three hours. Like, look, we think we're going to make, like, you know how the school system is. Like, it's slow. Like, I think we're going to make a decision in, like, a year, right? Yeah. I'm like, we might as well pack our bags up and go do something yeah, else, right? you don't right? got a year. But on our way out, they have a really beautiful office. And on our way out, there was this um, ping pong table. And, I, you know, I asked them, like, oh, you guys play ping pong? Because they had, like, a little, like, a score. Uh, um, like, they had the scores up on the, the whiteboard. They're like, yeah. And Robert, the same guy who sort of started the meeting that way, he's like, yeah, I'm the champ or whatever around here, whatever. And so we end up leaving. I just took that nugget. We end up leaving. And literally in our Uber on the way back to the airport, I ordered him this massive, obnoxious, um, like ping pong trophy and it said like the man the myth the legend and it got mailed to him yeah. and so um, you know I mailed this trophy over to him and um, and like they get it in like it was like a 10 day order so they get in like 10 days or whatever and um, it's crazy how just God works man because this it's like the same day they got it they didn't know that they didn't have it yet but like the same day they end up calling me like early in the morning like hey um, no we said we were going to make a decision in a year um, but um, you know, what we want to do is partner with you exclusively to introduce esports into high school. And here's what that means for us, right? So we, we're going back and forth. We negotiate terms, yeah. just baseline terms. And and then later in the day, they were like, uh, Robert caught me. He's like, hey, man, I got the trophy you sent. You know, yeah. I was like, and it was like, it was just another reason, sort of validation for them. Like, this is why we should be working with these guys. And, um, and yeah, it was just great. It was great. If you really love the Go Podcast, one way to support us is going to moguldom.com, M-O-G-U-L-D-O-M.com forward slash survey. Fill out that quick survey. That gives us better information on our audience. It helps us with our sponsors. Uh, That's one big way you can support us and keep our movement going. Go to moguldom.com forward slash survey. Thank you. And I mean, we, we negotiated the terms, just like the principal terms, but then it was like a, a, another month and a half of not only diligence from them, but further negotiation on those terms. And, uh, you know, what we end up getting is like this exclusive, like indefinite agreement to, you know, operate esports turnkey for the NFHS and their membership, which is, you know, 20,000 schools across every state, including D.C. Um, and is you know, it was like incredible one. It's like groundbreaking. It was scary because all of the other five companies found out like yeah. that, that they were talking to us and they're like offering them buku dollars. Yeah. Uh, and you know, I'm like, like, you know, our whole thing sort of, it like, we would have found a way to do it either way. But like, if someone else would have gotten this, like, this is like everything. It's yeah. like, it's what you need. And so, you know, anyway, they set a date for us to come out and pitch to their board in Scottsdale, Arizona. And it was like the, maybe a, a, the first three days inside of the new year. And we went and pitched to their board and it was the craziest feeling. Me, Laz, who is our VP of BD and another guy named James who worked for science. And by the way, at the time, Laz, again, it was still me on the team, but Laz worked at science. Um, and the irony there, or at least I guess like how the, the story is so circular, man, because like Laz worked for Matt Mazio. He worked at Lowercase uh, on their investment team. It was only four people on that team. And before he worked there, he was hired to build this company. So lowercase with Matt Mazio, they were going to incubate a high school esports company to like to build what we're building. 
And um, but like last, like he kind of fell in love with like just investing in startups. And so he just did that because that's sort of what was on their plate. And, you know, then when like the whole lowercase stuff blew up because Saka retired, um, last was looking for something to do with him and I had talked because of the betting company I was you know I pitched to him to invest and lowercase didn't do betting company so they rejected me um, but me and him just built the relationship which is which is a lesson in itself like entrepreneurs like if you know you're talking to an investor uh, first off it's hard for entrepreneurs and investors to build real relationships because there's always an ask at the other end um, and, and but if you get over that hump and like you're talking to an investor and they didn't like they reject you sometimes it's not because like they're rejecting you it's because like you know, their LPs don't like that sector of business or like they've already done a competitive deal or even if it is because they don't like what you're doing, like that doesn't mean you can't have a relationship with them. Yeah. Had I not had that relationship with Last, even after they rejected me, Last doesn't get the job at Science and then Science, um, you know, doesn't hire Last to like come to close this deal with me and I don't get this deal maybe. Yeah, because I could see some immature entrepreneurs they're getting mad because they were rejected yeah, it's not, it's not why a, they reject me and yeah yeah it's not it's not it's not an emotional thing like you yeah. know it's like I, it's emotional to be rejected certainly right like but would, um, you, would you say that a lot of some entrepreneurs are soft in a sense that you get a rejection by an investor yeah you you, you take it very personal right it's an yeah, emotional I mean. it's an it's, it's emotional it's not thing. personal but with you though you're not a Cosby kid, meaning that you're coming from the bottom in Detroit, uh, and where your experience is, what you say that has hardened you. Where if you get a no, that's not that's not that's it's not just a, a lot. No. That's not a yeah. big deal. It's just a no. Look. Yeah, look, the you know what's the yeah. worst that can happen? Yeah. And, by, and you know, and also it's like, okay, cool. Like you have a job to do, and a part of that job was telling me no, but that doesn't mean that me and you have to be at ends. Yeah. Um, and um, and so, you know, that's just been my ex and even before. Right. Like we told Brian Burkeen from Kairos. Uh, no. When um, uh, when like I worked at uh, Inkwell and it wasn't because I didn't like Kairos as a business. It's because my partner said no. And yeah. me and Brian still developed a relationship. And that's how you and I got connected. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, and so it goes. And so I think entrepreneurs, uh, it's just a lesson like, you know, don't take it personal. Like, you know, just because an investor tells, you no doesn't mean they don't like you. Um, yeah. it may mean they don't like your business, but like, you know, like that doesn't, that shouldn't prohibit you, you from starting a, to, a friendship yeah, yeah, in a relationship more than anything. And so anyway, look, last, last works at science and, and, and he goes out there with me last James who works at science and then myself and we're in Scottsdale, Arizona. And, you know, we go and we pitch the NFHS's board and, this is the first time I've ever been in like a boardroom where it's like it's packed, right? It's like all of these executive directors who run these states, and uh, and they sort of uh, have to make a decision um, in consensus to like you know let us be their par their partner, right? Versus everyone else, and it was pretty intense actually because the the uh, even our emotions were just running high because um, you know we were supposed to pitch at one time, but then their meetings started going over, and so we had to wait outside of their boardroom for like four hours to even pitch. We didn't go in and we pitched and like but we hadn't ate we hadn't like we couldn't even we couldn't eat we couldn't drink we were just like anxious right we go in and we pitch um and we're feeling like initially it starts off pretty you know just rocky but good uh it stabilizes and then like we start getting a crap load of questions it's me last and james we're both filling questions from like five six seven people at a time so it's like Laz is on one side of the room talking. I'm on this side of the room talking. James is, and we're going to go like back to back to back to back on questions. And uh, and and then that was it. They were like, "All right, cool. We'll be in touch in an hour." And then an hour went by. Then another hour went by. Then like seven hours go by, right? Yeah. And we're like, 
you know, like, like we're not going to get this. Like, that. Yeah. James, he brought his family, so he was, like, spending time with his, his family because he just had a son. And Laz, uh, me and Laz were just sitting at this fire pit, like, man, we just blew it, you know? And, and then they, they called us, and they were like, hey, we got the word. We're going to, like, come down to see you guys. And, like, another, it was, like, 30 minutes, but it ended up being, like, 45 minutes or so. And so we're, like, really anxious now. And, um, and eventually they get down there. And then they're hitting us with small talk because, like, it's three people who are supposed to come down, but, like, they're coming down one at a time. And so, like, the first one comes, and then another 15 minutes. The next one comes, then another 15 minutes. So it's, like, this massive buildup, and we're doing all of this small talk, and it, it definitely didn't, like, feel good. And they sit down, and they're like, all right, so, uh, one, we're, we're excited to do this, right, which is, like, oh, amazing. Then they're like, but well, we got one hang-up. And... I can't disclose what the hangup was, but it was like, it was great. It was like, it was more favorable to us. And uh, they were like, you know, we were really arguing in there for like um, whatever amount of like a couple hours, not not because we didn't want to do it, but because of this hangup, which was like incredible for us. And um, and that was it. And they were like, all right, let's get this, get it signed. And we got it signed like that day, that night. And it was super late at night, by the way. It was like literally like the next morning. And it was that was it, and like we we just got to work from there, and so then I hired Dalvit, um, who who's now our CTO. Immediately hired um, Sean, who's now our head of product, and you know they brought in some guys. We were five. We ended up being five people. We went from being starting, you know, January after six months just with me, and then closing a deal, and then you know in the January we were five people, and now we're you know we're grown. We've grown a lot since then. <laughs> okay. Got it. So how do you fill out your round after this? We don't, so we don't initially go raise a round. Uh, it's funny though. Um, that day it was an investor who's invested in the for-profit in NFHS. He comes up to us. He's like, look, I uh, really love what you guys are doing. Um, you know, I like to lead your round whenever you do go out and raise it. He like, he offers us like 8 million or something crazy like that. Um, literally like first day we met him and we were like, ah, you know, like we're not, we're not raising right now, but like, let's stay in touch. Let's figure it out. Right. At a later date. And, and, you know, we go back and we mostly just focus on like building a team, fleshing out what we're building, spending time with the States because we need to learn at this point, like how high school sports work, because like, this is a hundred year old history and tradition to like how they do things. And so we need to spend time just learning how they do things so we can, you know, best adjust for the system. Um, and, uh, and so the, the next, you know, four, three or four months were like just that, like spending time with the States, spending time with the NFHS, building rapport, um, and, you know, flushing out what we were doing. And what happened is we started getting investors just dropping by. Like, because people like, because we go out and we partner to introduce esports into high schools. We're partnering, like we own the distribution. No one else can do this. Like what we're doing, we're the only ones. Yeah. Um, but we we have to go out and partner with publishers to get their IP, right? Like how Spotify goes and partners with record labels to get you know the music content. Yeah. Uh, and so publishers start to talk. They're like, oh, you heard of these guys, and we're not public, by the way, at this time. No one, no one knows we exist. We're super quiet. Um, uh, I don't even think I was tweeting at this time, like for a few months. And um, as it relates to you, can you explain to the audience a name of a publisher uh, in terms of how you're thinking about it with esports? Yeah, I mean, uh, look, there's a bunch of games that I would consider esports. Um, there's there's dozens, um, but the biggest game is League of Legends um, by Riot Games, which is owned by Tencent. Um, there's others like NBA 2K, which is owned by Take Two, which the NBA actually has an esports league for, and you know, Overwatch by Blizzard. There's a bunch of them. Yeah. yeah. And so, uh, and, and generally, what esports means at like the highest level is like 
um, uh, it's like it's a way it's a term to define competitive gaming. So people are playing in these competitive contests similar to sports uh, across different video games in a team based setting. So uh, one team versus another team with the outcome and objective being securing a win. Right. It's no different yeah. than one basketball team playing another, you know, with the, uh, doing a bunch of sort of things in between to secure a win. Exact same thing. Yeah. And so. um yeah, and, so, and by the way, a lot of these publishers were like our competitors and like securing a deal, right? So like these publishers were out to get that deal with the NFHS themselves, and so what about you know, EA Sports were they in the mix? I can't disclose that, okay. but like you know, it's it, the interesting thing. It's like you know, imagine us securing it, right? And they know I'm just one person, and you know, the first month or so with publishers was rough because they were like they were pissed, you know, they were like, how did this guy go out and get this deal? And like one publisher, like restructured their entire team that was focused on high school like blew it up yeah. and i was like you know wow like that's how i knew we had impact right immediately yeah. i was like oh this this is actually this is going to work like we just got to stay heads down and get through it like but this is this is inevitable um uh but anyway we so we spent all of that time um uh you know figuring out what we're going to do and then you know before like when we knew it was time to raise it was when like investors start just dropping by like Hey, we heard about you guys. Like dropping by our office, right? Hey, we heard about you guys. Um, we should talk, right? Like we sit there and talk for 20, 30 minutes. You know, he'd be like, "All right, cool. Come up, meet with our partners. We want to make an investment, stuff like that." And we weren't. We at that time, like a lot of it, we're like, "No, nah, you know what? We're good." But it's good to like meet with you and like establish a rapport. Um, and you know, then we like we're really focused on just announcing what we're doing. And so we announced the company. And this is like in April when all of this started happening. And then we announced the company April nineteenth. And like it kind of like shook esports, like it, it turned the entire esports world upside down. Like video games as an actual varsity sanctioned high school sport where kids can win a state championship, just like their peers in basketball and football, like people couldn't believe it. Uh, and you know, so investors obviously start flocking there. And, and then we went out, we put a pitch deck together, very light deck actually, and we start raising. And the first investor we talked to um, said no, it was a video chat. Um, and I remember it was a really big investor too. Um, and I don't want to disclose the fund, but it's like this massive investor, deep ties in, you know, Asia and China startups, but a lot of consumer companies and, and him himself, he's just like the main partner. And frankly, I think he was a little distracted cause he was like heading to the airport and he's like, you know, he's like, I got to go to the airport in like 20 minutes or something like that. So it's like, you know, basically like, let's make a quick thing. And then like, I'm talking and I can tell he's not really like paying attention. And then at the end of it, he's like, um, you know what, man, I don't know if this is venture backable. That's of thing you know uh like and i'm like what you know like how like explain to me and i didn't take offense to it i'm just like explain to me right because like we're using software he's like in the same vein like the nba wouldn't be venture backable this isn't and i'm like like dude we're capturing if we can capture we own exclusive distribution to every high school in the country which means we can target high school students for any product but let alone like what we're doing for gaming um in their most native community which is high school that's when they spend most of their time throughout the year and throughout the, the four years they're in high school i'm like if we can capture their attention like we can ex we can extract enorm enormous value from it and you know, and obviously we're building like this incredible software that like does all of these things that no one has ever done in competition platforms and esports. And he's like, ah, oh, you know, it's not venture backable. But all right, man, I'll talk to you. Like that sort of thing. I'm like, all right, all right, cool. Like you yeah. know, no doubt. The next day, that was like a Thursday. The next day, we fly up to San Francisco, and we pitch a few funds, and few of them literally that day, NEA included, were like, like we're sitting in the NEA meeting, who led our round, and they're like, uh, and we 
you know, we we just left one of the funds that was next door to them. And because, you know, all of these funds are just next door yeah. to each other, like no matter where they're at in San Hill or in San Francisco. And so um, and so NEA, like John Sakota is sitting there. He's the main he was one of the main partners that he just left and Rick Yang, who sits on our board. And he's like, uh, we should invest in this. He's like he looks at Rick. He's like, no, I'm serious. Like we sh- we should write you guys a check. And, and Peter's like he's like, how much are you guys raising? And um and Peter's like, you know, just name your price, that sort of thing. And he's like, I'll give you guys 20 million, like that sort of thing. And like, it's just like, just, yeah. I was like, you know, like that's insane or whatever. But anyway, that meeting, we in that meeting, they're like, all right, come up next week. And we already have a bunch of partners meeting. So how it works is like you meet with a venture fund. Typically, you meet with a venture fund. Um, you know, like the first meeting. And sometimes there's a couple meetings before you get to the stage. In our case, it was like we met with most of the venture funds we talked to, and then, the, you know, we come right back up for the partners meeting, right, which is Monday. And that's like when they typically make a decision if they're going to invest or not. And you kind of know quickly. Um, and then at some point, like, they'll either have a couple conversations with you or just issue a term sheet and you kind of go from there. Then we met with a couple venture funds on Friday. Two of those venture funds wanted to offer us um, came back up to the partners' meetings. Um, things really progressed very fast in that first three days. And um, and then, you know, we ended up doing a few more meetings, like a couple, like I think two two or three more days of meetings, and we ended up getting like six or seven term sheets. And what we ended up doing is like how I started, how we filtered through the term sheets was like, one, I started spending time with like the investors. So like when someone's going to give you 10, 15, $20 million, like they don't just like, it doesn't like those meetings are it. So like you'll fly back up just to meet with these guys like, yeah. to do dinner, right? To like, because they're like, we need to get to know you just as much as you need to get to know them, right? And yeah. a lot of it was like, and, and beyond anything, like we were getting pitched. So we were like, people were taking us to games. They were like flying down, doing dinner with me. They were sending me stuff. They were... Like, it was just crazy. They were putting decks together and, like, giving me a full court press on why I should be working with them. It was unbelievable. It was, yeah. like, legit. Like, they were they would organize dinners with, like, their most successful founders. And, like, and a lot of these guys, you go around, like, I'm thinking, like, this guy sold this company for $3 billion. This guy, a billion. This guy, like, insane. Yeah. They were, like, organizing, like, NBA owners to, like, take us to games and stuff like that. It was, like, like the owner, like, go meet the owner here. He's going to drive you or fly you into the game. Like, that yeah. sort of stuff. Uh, it was crazy. I was, like, oh, this is how the other side raises. <laughs> and so, uh, anyway, um, very quickly, it was, like, basically two weeks. Um, and we decided to go with NEA, um, and, um, and, you know, we ended up negotiating how much we were going to raise. We decided we were going to do, we weren't going to do, we could have done like 25, 30. Um, we decided that we were going to do, you know, 15 NEA put in their, their check, which was 10. And, and then we had, then that's when the real work came. It wasn't even like finding the lead. It was like all of the other people. And so we had like 20 or $30 million easily just from not even including the term sheets, uh, which I wouldn't include there because you can only have one lead um, from just like participants, like maybe more. It was probably 30 plus um, from like people who were like, I want to put in two million. I want to put in four million. I want to put in a million. Like it's like even I want to put in the 50 thousands like those. Yeah, guys, once you have the lead, everybody kind before of, we had the yeah, lead, though, yeah. all of these guys were in. But like when we had the lead, it was like that's yeah. when they were like they started dropping by the office and like, let's figure this out. We want to be in. What I'll tell you is you lose a lot of friendships in that process. There were guys that I'd known before from my time in venture that, you know, we couldn't make work. Like, they just were like, like, they won't, I couldn't call them the day they wouldn't pick up the like, phone. Like, come on, brother. Because that, because we didn't let them in. And some of it was like, the numbers don't work, right? Like, yeah. we get NEA at 10, then we got, like, science has to invest again. 
right? They have Parada, so like they're at two. And frankly, like they could invest more, but they're at two. They could, it could have been just NEA and science, right? Like they're at two. Um, then you have like the NFHS who wanted to invest. Like how how can we say no to them, right? And then like it's all of these like it's all of these groups, right? Like that that want to get in. And and basically, so you got like this three million dollar pie that you're trying to fit all of the most interesting people in or funds. Um, to like into that that slice of like available money, um, uh, and it's just hard, you know. It's like yeah. we had we had so many guys, like the biggest athletes in the world, the biggest musicians in the world, some of the biggest people who've impacted culture, who wanted to write us checks, and and it wasn't that I didn't want them in. It was just like the numbers don't work. And so we talked about entrepreneurs uh, being too emotional on a no. You're talking about VCs where you had to shut the door for practical reasons, structural reasons. But you're saying that they were kind of, you know, taking it personally. Man, if you if you know the stuff we went through on just people who couldn't get in and yeah. what they the extremes they've gone, you'd be you'd be blown away. Off the record, I'll tell you, yeah. I'll tell you post. <laughs> if you like what you're hearing, you could check us out at moguldom.com. That's M-O-G-U-L-D-O-M.com. That's moguldom.com. We have the latest information on tech, crypto, the business of Hollywood, and economic empowerment. Uh, you can also check me out on Twitter at Jamarlin Martin. Let's get back to the podcast. Uh, so a little bit about Delane. So he was introduced to me uh, by another founder, Brian Brackeen, in Miami uh, a couple of years ago. And before, you know, this monster raise, you know, I was told like, man, this guy Delane, you got to meet this guy. This guy has more energy, uh, a more kind of drive than, than anybody out there uh, that you had already acquired a reputation in the community, in the tech community, that this guy is an entrepreneur of entrepreneurs. Mm. Uh, and so I uh, just want to highlight that a lot of folks already knew where you were headed. Before you had it figured out, uh, you had such a kind of high reputation that kind of folks knew that yeah. you, were, you, were, you were the entrepreneur of entrepreneurs. I'm blessed to hear that. Uh, uh, by the way, shout out to Brian Burkeen, man. He used to let me come and stay at his house in Miami. He ended up giving me a key. I stayed there, man, at least, I like to say 100 days, one year. Uh, <laughs> I just come down, stay at his house. Half of the time, he wasn't even at his house. So it was like my little castle. I had a bedroom in his house. Um, he, he, you know, he was a big part of the journey. One thing that's uh, one of many things I would say that makes you unique is that you go to Sand Hill Road and, and you're connecting with all these kind of big shots in the tech game, in the esports game, in the VC game. However, you're still very visible in the black tech community. When you announced your raise, you talked about uh, this is for, you know, a lot of the ancestors. And it's kind of like you're moving, your drive, you got the people. I'm talking about black people specifically on your back and and you know a lot of times when folks start getting into these elite crowds it's kind of like there's a detachment can you talk about kind of mm. how you're able to balance it and, and, and you're still repping the community yeah. while you're doing big things yeah sure yeah. Uh, a big uh and, and this even goes back to the race too which um 
which I'm sure someone want to tell the story at some point. We were so we had all of these term sheets on the table, and one of the things that I was very vocal about beyond the terms itself was that um, obviously we were going to have this board structure, and you know, like one person's going to get a seat from the fund that that leads our round of science is going to get a seat. I hold two seats, and there's going to be an independent and. You know, I wrote into like the the term sheet. It's like, look, I won't like I won't sign a term sheet from uh, any fund for two reasons. One, like our independent, like my two terms were like, um, you know, our independent had to be a woman, um, like no matter what, like it had to be a woman, and you had to be okay with that, and like you had to be able to write that in, and like NEA was obviously okay with that. That was a big, like they 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 were like they were happy about it. They were happy yeah. to do so. And the other thing was that we turned down a bunch of funds. We turned down a bunch of funds who want, like who wanted to issue term sheets, but like just because like they didn't have black founders in their portfolio. Um, for me, it just meant more about working with a fund um, who does, who does already support black people. Like for me, I was like, I don't want to be the first. I want to be with my people, right? And also, you learn something in that process too. It would be like, like investors will like take you out to dinner and stuff, and the type of restaurants they would take you to. And I'd be like, like, what is this, bro? Like, there's no black people in the restaurant. The only black people is to help people, and it's like, it's, this doesn't yeah, feel yeah. like home to me. Yeah, you know, and like, and, and, any, and, and you're thinking like, obviously, you're thinking about the upside, but you're thinking about the downside. And a yeah, lot of I'm cases. Like, if I, if I, and obviously this is pressure in general, but like if I'm fighting for black people while from like the investor that I want to take, but then, you know, art like during the downturns in our company, like it doesn't go well, are the investors not happy? Then they totally don't work with any more black people, right? Cause they pattern match. So they yeah. just, they equate me not succeeding to like support other black people to like other black people may not succeed. And so what, what NEA was a little bit different than other like tier one venture funds we talked to was that like, they already supported black people and not talk to all of their black founders. Um, a few of them, not all of them. They have a bunch. And um, and like they like and I talked to the ones who like specifically went through like rough patches and they were like NEA was there for us. They were like they would do anything for us. It, there were even rounds like the next round NEA didn't leave, but they participated and they wanted to leave. But we chose someone else, but they were still there for us. And that and that, that's like a character trait that entrepreneurs need to like make sure exists within the investor that they take. Like an investor who doesn't care about like the color of your skin or the background you come from, who cares about you as a person beyond even you as an entrepreneur. Um, it's super important. Yeah, that's a that's big takeaway in terms of you were strong enough to be very selective when you had, you know, these options. But what I was going to say is that why it's so important that you properly vet the investor, uh, right? It's easy to see dollar signs, but you don't want to be the entrepreneur like the locks in terms of, you know, you, you see folks dangling the money, but you got to think about your company's going to have a rough patch, right? Yeah. Uh, and it's, it's expected. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's going to be problems. And so in, in a lot of cases, you're going to be battling with the investor, right? Who's yeah. going to be on the other side? Who's going to be on your yeah. board? Yeah. yeah. By the Who's way, going to push me out faster yeah. when, when I don't hit the numbers? Yeah. By the way, too, don't, I would say don't really worry about that because, like, look, I think what entrepreneurs um, fail to realize is, like, look, your board works for you. It's not the other way around. Like, like they're there to serve you. And if they're not doing that, then like you go talk to whomever you need to do and like make an adjustment there. Um, uh, but yeah, certainly like obviously that was of consideration to me is like, who am I going to spend the most time with? And I want someone who who understands where I come from and like and, and is OK with that. And, uh, and not just that one person, but like the group. Right. Because like yeah. investors, especially at funds like they have they face social pressure from like their peers. 
And, you know, I didn't want to be in a place where there wasn't a lot of black people who walked through those doors or like were a part of that community. And to some degree, like some people do want to be the first. Um, but I, I care more about I feel like I'm going to be successful. I want to I want to I want to make money for people who are going to then disperse some of that money into back to my communities. Uh, and that's why I chose in the end. And they had black people on their staff. That was a whole nother thing. Yeah. Yeah. Like they had everything working. Yeah. They're like, they had, yeah, they had yeah. black people on the staff, <laughs> you know, like, you know, it's like you going to like, man. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so the Silicon Valley critic, uh, Vivek Wadwa, some years ago, he studied Silicon Valley and he said, Indians, uh, East Indians, they were able to break through uh, one they formed organizations with one of the organizations going over a thousand members in terms of mm. their networking, their mentoring, they're helping each other. He said when he looked at the black tech space, he said, you guys don't help each other. A That's of you not guys, true. Yeah, I'm just, I'm, hold on, let me finish. So, Who so, is this guy? Uh, Vivek Wadwa. Mm. Uh, so he was an entrepreneur and then he went into academia, but he's been one of the... Uh, he doesn't have a lot of black friends. <laughs> Yeah, and at this time, though, this was around, uh, to be fair, it's about 2012, 2013. Doesn't matter. He doesn't have enough black yeah. friends. Okay, so, yeah. so you, you feel like that's totally unfair. Dude, when, I, when, we, when we announced our raise, one of the first messages I got was from Tristan Walker, whom I'd never met before. Obviously, I've looked up to, sent me a message and was just like, yo, I'm proud of you. Like, you don't, yeah. need, you don't need me to be proud of you, but I'm proud of you. Like, I see you. Like, keep moving. Like, just a lot of words of encouragement. Well, not um, necessarily encouragement or support, but I guess what he's talking about is pulling, pulling yeah, people I'll give, you, I'll give you another yeah. example. Look, when, when we were, when we, we pitched Andreessen, and, you know, they didn't do anything in gaming, so it just didn't really make sense. But Chris Lyons was like, you know, like, what do you need me to do? I'll politic it inside. Like, we'll make this happen. Like, support Brian Burkeen when, when I needed to I needed to spend time in Miami and um, to figure out, you know, what we were doing and meet people there. Brian Burkeen opened his doors to me. Yeah. You so know, you let me live in his... Like, Marcus Carey. When we, when we were putting together our financial models, we would send them to Marcus Carey and he reconstruct the entire financial model. He's building his own company, but he's spending a week, two weeks working on our stuff to make sure that we we're ready to go out and race. Like there's a bunch of like, man, there there's, I've had way too many black entrepreneurs um, show support to me, you know, help push me, help take a bet on me, make connections for me, uh, leverage their name to help get me in the door um, for some clown like this guy to like, you know, say, say that, that black people don't help each other enough. There's communities, by the way, for black entrepreneurs. There's like stuff that like Richard Kirby and Charles Hudson have done, like stealth yeah. mode, uh, where, you know, people yeah, the new share jobs. They, they, yeah. yeah, there's Angela with new me. There's Hodge Flemings in Detroit who does nothing but, you know, try to help um, black entrepreneurs, um, especially even from like not even in tech, but like small businesses. He partnered with WordPress to help black entrepreneurs build websites all across the country. Um, there's like I, I think this guy obviously hasn't been necessarily exposed to it. And, and maybe he doesn't understand systematic oppression, but like, you know, we're helping each other. You know, and yeah. so you know, you've studied the the tech game extensively, and you've met a lot of people. Is there anything where where our people, African Americans, uh, we're late to the party in terms of the tech game, relatively speaking, right? We're getting into the game just now. Is there something that you feel like the the black entrepreneurs that you come in contact with? There's something specific with the black entrepreneurs I meet where they struggle with specific things uh, and kind of. There's some specific areas uh, related to this late party to the game where we need to step it up. I don't I don't, don't want to, you know, I don't even want to add any sort of weight to like 
any sort of criticism other people give, you know, black entrepreneurs. I think um, uh, the, the things that we struggle with, all entrepreneurs struggle with. And, you know, it's some of that for us is not because, like, you know, we, we just struggle with it. It's because we weren't exposed to it. We don't have resources there. Obviously, raising money is a very difficult experience for black entrepreneurs, even harder for black women. You know, being able um, uh, to get deals done sometimes, even and even when it makes sense and it's the right deal for a company to do, is hard, our brand to do, is hard for black entrepreneurs. Um, but look, I think, you know, we, we have to continue to just work together, band together, and um, and, you know, work hard at like whatever we're doing and like support each other in that process. And I think, you know, this community of black entrepreneurs, especially in today's time, like that's that's what, you know, I've noticed we've all done. And and I'm happy that there are more entrepreneurs like uh, and investors, entrepreneurs turned investors and investors um, like yourself um, who support, you know, black entrepreneurship um, and, you know, are there to sort of push down doors for black entrepreneurs to walk through them. And so um, uh, what I will say is that um, uh, there's been a bunch of times where black entrepreneurs have been early to the prop the, the party and haven't gotten credit for it um uh you look at what Deshaun has done with Maven and um and you know in the black beauty space uh in the beauty space in general but even in the black beauty space um you know uh you know turning um stylists into um uh, like creating new gener- uh, new revenue lines for stylists to be able to sell you know uh, weave extensions and and even additional beauty products and you know how massive that company has gotten and you know not enough people talk about it when you look at um michael mcgee and neil silas griffin who literally started it's, this entire there was this moment in time where there was this big wave around edtech startups specifically startups that were teaching people how to code in three or four months like that wasn't started by General Assembly. That was started by uh, Code Academy, which became Starter League because uh, the YC startup Code Academy took their name, and so they had to change their name to Starter League in Chicago by two black guys that went to Northwestern. They started the. They were the first company that ever started a program to teach people how to code in three months, and they were doing Ruby on Rails, and uh, and they didn't even know how to code themselves, but they ended up finding an instructor. They went through. They got an incredible story. They went finding an instructor getting that person to build curriculum the first three months. And then they put up a website, got like 70 people to pay them eight grand or something like that up front um, to like build this school to teach people how to code. And, you know, they were in the classes themselves for the first, you know, three months learning themselves. And, uh, and over time that company continued to grow and Jason Freed and the 37 signals now Basecamp team uh, who created Ruby on rails. They invested in these guys, uh, which was like their first outside investment. And they grew an entire, you know, ecosystem and they don't get credit for it. Like people give general assembly credit and they give dev bootcamp and all of the, uh, hack reactor all of these guys credit for like you know uh, uh, creating that ed tech movement around teaching people how to code but those was two black kids um, in Chicago in terms of building up wealth in our community would you be open on your next round where there's some type of vehicle that would allow smaller investors to acquire equity uh, under let's say a, a reg CF where the vehicle could actually distribute shares or sell shares uh, to non-accredited investors where we can push some of the equity down from kind of more exclusive communities where our people can, you know, just acquire shares yeah. under, of course, SEC regulations. Yeah. So, you know, obviously I can't commit to that today. Yeah, because but that's you would be open to considering Yeah, that. I think yeah. We'd, we'd be down to considering it. And I don't know if, you know, it's it makes sense for... Uh, considering what the valuation of that round will probably be uh, for super small investors, but like we're obviously always down to 
to to help and to you know explore ways to make more money for black people uh our people so yeah I'm totally okay i'm gonna follow up uh, with you on that special thanks to delane where can people check you out on twitter and then also your your company's uh, domain yeah so i'm just at delane at d-e-l-a-n-e on twitter um and playversus.com p-o-a-y-v-s.com thank you by the way let's go Thanks, everybody, for listening to Go. You can check me out at Jamarlin Martin on Twitter and also come check us out at moguldom.com. That's M-O-G-U-L-D-O-M.com. Be sure to subscribe to our daily newsletter. You can get the latest information on crypto, tech, economic empowerment, and politics. Let's go.